Today's passages are taken from the lectionary for this Sunday, although Pastor has decided to skip an Old Testament reading. That leaves us with two, and the first is from the letter of James, chapter 3, verses 13 through the third verse of chapter 4, and then chapter 4, verses 7 through the first half of verse 8. Who is wise in understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false of the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. But where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is the reading from James. Our gospel lesson is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. Earlier, in chapter 8, the transfiguration has taken place, and Jesus You have found it. This is the September 19th edition of the Redheaded Preacher Podcast for Sunday, September 19th. I'm Richard Lanford, the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. We are an open and affirming congregation in the United Church of Christ. Today's sermon is called God's Jealous Yearning. And to get to what I mean by that, you have to listen to the end. But the scriptures are from Mark 9 and James 3 and 4. They will be announced in particulars by our lector, Mark Loach. I hope you are blessed by the sermon and the scriptures. And to help speed that along, uh, let me offer a word of opening prayer. Holy God, you are the beginning and the ending. You are the first and the last and the living one. We ask you to help us find ourselves in our time in applying the words that we hear to ourselves. Give us open ears and thinking minds and open hands to live out the gospel life that you have called us to, made possible by the grace you show us in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. And now, the scriptures. Today's passages are taken from the lectionary for this Sunday, although Pastor has decided to skip an Old Testament reading. That leaves us with two, 
And the first is from the letter of James, chapter 3, verses 13 through the third verse of chapter 4. And then chapter 4, verses 7 through the first half of verse 8. Who is wise in understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful of the false of the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is the reading from James. Our gospel lesson is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. Earlier, in chapter 8, the transfiguration has taken place, and Jesus has done a lot of healing and some teaching. They leave that location, and our reading picks up here. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him, and three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying, and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them. And taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Here ends the reading of the gospel and our scriptures for this morning's service. May God grant us a wise and generous understanding of this, the word of God for the people of God. This has done a lot of healing and some teaching. They leave that location, and our reading picks up here. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him, and three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying, and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them. And taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Here ends the reading of the gospel and our scriptures for this morning's service. May God grant us a wise and generous understanding of this, the word of God for the people of God. 
told his disciples that they may pray like this, and so using his words, we also pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debtors, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. What do you think when you hear the somewhat familiar phrase, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all? More succinctly, we know it as the last shall be first and the first shall be last. I used to quote that to myself or people with me when I and we are the last in line, like for a church supper or in the lunch line at seminary. It seems like words of hope for the future. The last shall be first. Roman Catholic Dean uh, Greg Lambert writes, To be first in anything is usually desirable if it places us at the front of the line or at the top of the heap. First place in a race. First in line for a doorbuster sale or the rummage sale. Or first place in your graduating class. They all provide a position that is advantageous. Being the first person to be picked for jury duty, not so much. Jesus challenged our natural competitiveness. He sat down, called the twelve, and told them, If anyone wishes to be first, that one shall be the last of all and the servant of all. And then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child, such as this in my name, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but the one who sent me. Talking to the disciples at this point, Jesus was not talking about first or last in line, Wishing to be first among the disciples clearly fell into their desirable column. When Jesus asked about their discussion, they were reduced to silence and most likely embarrassed about their misplaced ambitions. When they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for they had argued with one another who was the greatest. Jesus had just finished explaining, or at least teaching them about, his dying and rising. The mere mention of his death may have sent them into a kind of shock, and this is the second time in Mark he's brought it up. And uh, they might have been beginning to think in terms of who might lead after Jesus departed. But can you get past the incongruity? Jesus had just told them, the Son of Man is to be handed over to, to... prescribes the elders and they will kill him and three days after his death the son of man will rise but they did not understand the saying and they were afraid to question him and then after hearing this about Jesus their leader they argued over which one of them is the greatest 
But Jesus came back with the teaching about true greatness. Jesus, now teaching that the responsibility of discipleship goes beyond learning and following, not competing. It's not about being first or last or the greatest among disciples. It's not about ambition, but closer to being ready to welcome and walk with those who most of society disregards. That's what the children were in those days. The preaching resource homiletics, they say, it says that children had no status whatsoever in, uh, in that time and place. And Sojourner's magazines, Isaac Viegas Jr. quoted biblical scholar Ched Myers, who wrote, children represented the bottom of the social and economic scale in terms of status and rights in the ancient Mediterranean world. Myers notes that the astonishing fact in this story is, quote, that Jesus draws attention to children at all, for they were considered non-entities. It's not just about being humble, although that is a significant aspect of what our passages are teaching us. And I get that concepts of greatness, our concepts of greatness, may be understood by Jesus, but whatever God's concepts of greatness for Christ followers is, it does not comport with human ambition. So often human ambition is grounded not in what God wants for us or from us, but in what you or I or our families or friends hope for or even expect from us. Jesus told them, if you want to be first, you must be servant of all. One of the disciples could have thought, ah, I'll be the best servant of all of us. But that motivation is ego-driven too. It doesn't work. I'll be the greatest. And they'll all say, look at Peter. He's the greatest of all of us servants. Well, it might be a fringe benefit of being really good, but it should not be a goal like, I'll beat everybody. Nope. So in our attempts to be at least very good and properly motivated to be very good disciples, to respond to the good news of God's love with our best, what does that look like? right? Be loving. Of course, I have to agree with that, and I submit that all that comes next is indeed a spiritual or and physical extension of love, reflection of it, or demonstration of it. We have some other words besides love and a unique motivation to boot, and that will come up at the end. So what does this look like for us? I get lots of answers from the epistle of James. At first, his emphasis is on having spiritual wisdom. How are you with wisdom? Maybe better than you think. James listed traits of such wisdom for God's servants, a la what Jesus said in Mark, like this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. 
Sounds like the perfect grandparents, right? The way James puts it, the wisdom from God or from above is intimately connected with godliness. When by the grace of God and the cultivation of these graces over time, we become wiser like he describes, and therefore godlier in how we treat one another. Pure. That means without mixed motives, you know. Pure means not alloyed, you know, not spoiled with something else that's lesser than. Pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. There's no ego in there. But there is a sense of connectedness to the God who gives us the ability to grow in these as a follower and as a servant of Jesus. This makes us a better witness to the world, whether we are raising a family, marching in protest against injustice, going to school or camp, going to church council, or helping at the rummage sale. These are some of the traits of wisdom that James lifts up as a way to live out this love. And later in James, we have three things that are related and that may move us, excuse me, that may matter to us more than it might sound at first. Spiritual wisdom, as James describes, it will help you and me and our church improve in our ego-free, God-motivated servanthood and lastness and hospitality to the modern-day version of children in Christ's day. And here are some character traits or practices that emerge from growth and connectedness. These were near the end of the reading from James. And he lists them like bang, 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 like bullet points. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. I acknowledged earlier this year that I learned the word submit is offensive to many, particularly women who experience the misuse of that word on them, against them in family and church life. James, though, gives us a phrase that has the same meaning, but it's not the same word, and it's found under wisdom for all of us, willing to yield. All of us are encouraged by James to be willing to yield ourselves to God. Jesus became willing to yield himself, his will, to the Father during his prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you were with us one way or another on Monday, Thursday, we were able to dig into that, and it wasn't automatic that it was, okay, my will not thine be done, I'm ready to go to the cross. No, it didn't happen right away. And it wouldn't happen right away for us, necessarily. He became willing to yield his will during his prayers. That allowed God to work through Jesus on Calvary and the empty tomb. And through that, brought solidarity with those in great pain and feeling disconnected from God and oppressed. And it brought forgiveness and resurrection to the human race, as well as beyond our lives on this planet. Being willing to yield to God puts us at God's service. And that is not as easy as it sounds, because as the Apostle Paul knew, as Jesus knew in his prayers, that you and I have our own will our own way of doing things, thank you very much, 
our egos do get involved and sometimes our baggage. Not which all of that is negative, but it's that aspect of baggage I'm going to look at briefly. I remember preaching recently uh, about how easy it is for you and me to take our will back as, and take it, it, take it back from God. We've surrendered our will to God. Now we're taking it back because we know better. Here I want to add something else to it. Something along the lines of the hymns, I surrender all or just as I am without one plea. Each of us has stuff that we keep to ourselves. Some people might be in the loop. They might be in the know, and that's up to us. Like, what are you afraid of? What do you fear? Death? Loss of a relationship? Getting COVID or cancer? Running out of money in retirement? What other people think of you? How about fear of failure or rejection or being made fun of in public or just being disliked? Fear of being found out that the front most of us see is not really you. It's for us to see. And you don't want to be found out. You're afraid of that. Some could also be someone who intimidates you at work or at school or at home or in the neighborhood. All these fears, and there are many more, but I'm not here to list them all, all of these are part of who we are. And they are therefore stuff we are urged to yield to God over. Yield over to God. After all you've done what you can, after you've done all that you can, submit them to the loving and powerful hands of God. Hand them up and over in prayer. And it may take more than once to get this sense that, yes, God has got these. I don't have to hold on to these anymore. These things that are within me and you imprison that part of us that keeps us locked in, let us be willing to unlock the door and let them out and yield them to God as part of yielding ourselves to God. Let the Holy Spirit be in charge of them. And I could give other examples of what it can mean to be willing to yield ourselves to God. When we get better at doing that, we will find ourselves better able to figure out and to do God's desires. We're not only giving up being in charge will-wise, we're also giving up to God the negative things, the obstructive things and feelings that have taken charge of parts of our lives, if not all of our lives. So submit yourselves to God. The next one is resist the devil and he will flee from you. A long time ago, I believe it was, I shared from this pulpit that there have been times when I knew I was undergoing temptation. And I resisted giving in. And what I did literally was what James said to do. From a student pastor I met while at St. Nikolai, I learned the phrase, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And I used that in my resistance to the temptation I was undergoing at the time. It worked. And then it came back. Kind of like a monster or criminal in old horror movies when you think it's dispatched and now you can breathe and be relaxed and boom, there it is again. And it might even kill that character. So I used it again and again. And it does work sometimes. It had, it, at least it worked for me. 
Rebuke the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil right out of James. But when you or I realize that we are being swayed from the desires and example of Jesus, when our spiritual alarm system, our defense system, as it were, recognizes that we're being tempted to do a thing that looks right on the surface, but there's still a higher and better choice, yes, it might involve sacrifice, then we call on God for the strength to push that back and let God pull us nearer. When our ego starts to think that God needs a break from driving the car of our lives, and we know better, resist that. Get out of the way, and even when it sounds logical and beneficial, just not quite right, though, compared to even another option. Let's do what we believe God is telling us to do. And then right after, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. It reminds me of a verse in 1 Peter, so, and we have both Mark and Peter with us in worship this morning. So we've got our gospel and this quote I'm going to give you. In Peter, 1 Peter says, Cast all your anxieties upon God, because God cares for you. This is more than just submitting our wills to that of God. It is more than just being willing to yield to God's directions over our own preferences, if they are in fact at odds. It's moving towards God purposefully, intentionally, wanting closer communication and connectedness and communion with the Holy One who so loves the world. It is moving towards God. And we do this a lot of ways, in worship and in prayers, devotionals, Bible study, meditation, serving others, being out there trying to change the world for justice, and being out there with Christ in mission and ministry. And you know what? God will draw near to you. And it doesn't mean you feel it, because not all about our faith is what we feel. God will draw near to you. It is a promise. God honors those who take God seriously and selflessly, selflessly want to spend time with God, getting to know God and how to live out that love. When we speak of friends who people you like to spend time with, hang out with, call up once in a while, see how things are going, not just only going to them when we want something. So it's like, I'm going to make, God's my friend, I want to spend some time hanging out, however we, that, what that looks like for us. These are all traits of a selfless servant who welcomes the outsiders in Jesus' name. They are traits that call for faith and hope and perseverance. You know what else? We are meeting God's yearning for us. God's jealous yearning for us. God yearns for us. We who, a lot of times we equivocate as part of human nature, yet who've also been given the Holy Spirit by faith. And this is the unique motivation I mentioned at the start of the sermon. Mark did not have to read, but James does have, kind of in those verses that were skipped, he wrote, Do you suppose that it is for nothing that the scripture says God yearns jealously over the spirit that he had made to dwell in us? I'll say it again because we didn't hear it once before, and that's because the lectionary just didn't have it. Do you suppose that it is for nothing that the scripture says God yearns jealously? 
for the spirit that he had made to dwell in us. God is jealous, after all, if, for but all of the things that God has done for us, God and who God is, and it's easy to, we can jump right to Calvary if we want to, but God hates the idea that we would love and follow other modern-day idols. So there is a, to put it in human terms, a kind of jealously, but here it's, it's a jealousy that God yearns jealously for the spirit that God has put in us. Believers have the Holy Spirit from within. That's the spirit that God has made for us. And though we are so freaking human, and we're born with a tendency to put our will first because that's kind of what was going on in the garden. But all the same, God longs for, jealously yearns for, the spirit that God's put in us. In putting ourselves last, being a humble, hospitable servant without ambition, with wisdom, willing to consider what God wants, ready to resist shiny alternatives and drawing closer to God. We are presenting ourselves to God. So God need not yearn jealously over us. This is a gift back to God who in Christ gave all that he had to give for us. We're presenting ourselves to God. So God need not yearn jealously over us. Here we are. You're a gift. Amen. This uh, ends this week's edition of the Red-Headed Preacher Podcast. As always, I appreciate your listening. I hope you enjoyed the message, found something meaningful in it that spoke to you or that is something you feel you can share with others. Again, my thanks. Next week, we'll be looking at, I'm not sure what, for Sunday, September 26th. I haven't looked that far ahead, uh, but I'm grateful again, and may God bless your week. Amen. Amen.